All right, there we go. Well, welcome again, everyone, uh, here on the second Sunday in Lent. A welcome, warm welcome, everyone watching online at home. Uh, good to have you with us. Today, we're continuing with our Lenten theme where we talk about wilderness. And I'm going to give some more stories. I thought I'd start with some more stories from the literal going into the wilderness uh, as part of our theme for the season. And I'm sure you know I talk about camp all the time. I discovered last week that nobody knew the song, Seek Ye First, the Kingdom of God. Um, I felt like I was much amiss. Stuart, we need to put that one on, the, get that one on the, uh, on the rotation. People need to be, be trained to be good Lutherans. Um, uh, but yeah, you know I tell camp stories all the time. Uh, I spent several summers doing this Bible camp, and so I spent many times uh, literally taking kids into the wilderness. And sometimes it was just for a night, sometimes it'd be a whole week. And it was always fun watching how different kids dealt with the change of scenery. And that's part of the beauty of camp and part of why you do it is because that change of scenery can be a really good way to experience God when you're removed from where you're at and your own school and all the school politics and pecking orders and all that kind of stuff. And some, of course, would go out into the wilderness and they would, you know, they, they just kind of went with the flow, right? And that was honestly most kids. They kind of played along to some degree. We couldn't do it if everybody was fighting against it. But some kids really struggled getting outside, uh, just getting out among them and trees I mean, they really struggled. And it was interesting because the ones who struggled the most tended to be ones who came from rough neighborhoods and rough families. They had the hardest time with the trees. These were kids who were so rough and tumble, I would be afraid of sleeping without one eye open sometimes. Okay, they weren't that bad. But, um, I mean, these were kids who, in their own neighborhoods, maybe some of them had rap sheets for all I knew, and yet when they would get out into the woods, something different happened, right? And what was going on? Well, back in your neighborhood, you have to be tough to survive. There's a lot of neighborhoods like this, urban, there's rural neighborhoods like this, where you have to be tough to survive. You have to look tough, you have to talk tough, you have to look like you are willing to be aggressive if you need to, even if you aren't, you have to at least make them think you are. So you're kind of always putting on a certain bluster, a certain bravado. You have to look like you're willing to hit back if you're attacked. And of course, if it's a risky turf that you're on, you have to know that turf very well, right? You need to know who's behind what corner. You need to know who's in what house. You need to know what side of the street you can be on and not be on. I've had, even in Tucson, where I've had people, and I've, I've met with them, and we've had to decide, where do we do lunch? And I've had to pick it based on where the boundaries are, uh, you know, because they used to be in such and such a gang, but south of this street is the other one, so we have to eat on, at, at the restaurant on this side of the street. You need to know the lay of the land well when you're in a rough neighborhood. It's how you survive. And, and this is just sort of how you get by, right? It's how life is. But you get out of that neighborhood. You take a kid out of that neighborhood and drop them down at camp and then take them one step farther out into the woods. And now I see some of them get really nervous. They get scared. 
Uh, they're deeply uncomfortable. And it always amazes like, why are you uncomfortable? If you can handle that, why does, you know, this scare you? But you have to realize they're out of their element. We all get nervous when we're out of our elements. But for these kids, their whole persona has been built around a specific place, a specific set of relationships, a specific set of rules, unwritten rules, but very clear rules. And they knew the lay of the land. They knew the lay of the land down to the crack in the sidewalk. But now, now you're out at camp. Now you don't know the lay of the land. But the other thing that changes too for a kid when you move out to camp is now suddenly you have adults paying attention to them and doing things with them and giving direction or discipline. And uh, those are things they don't always get at home. You know, some of the kids, you know, I would talk to them and they're like, you realize on the, when they step outside, they're like tough guys ready to fight. They go inside, they're like moms. You know, I gotta put my brothers to bed, I gotta make sure they're up, I had to get the groceries. So they're, they're growing up way faster than they needed to. And the adults in their lives were not reliable. Now you take them to camp and there's all these adults who are like stable and paying attention to them. How do you deal with that? Right? Well, the idea is now you get to be a kid. We'll, we, we, we'll make sure there's food. Right? We'll make sure that the food order gets done. Don't worry about that. There's always enough. It may not be what you like. You may not get excited about government commodity cheese. But there's plenty of it. So there are three different, so there are three different reactions you'd usually get. One was the tantrum. You get kids throwing tantrums. Uh, you know, and it could be a it could be like a like a fit tantrum, or you know, getting upset, or just flailing mad. It could be uh, the opposite. It could be like wailing. I've seen the toughest kids in the world cry like crazy because I just got to get home. I got to get home. I got to get home. I was like, you just told me how rough it was at home, and now you can't wait to get back there. Well, at home I'm a somebody. In my hood I'm a somebody. Out here I'm a nobody, right? And then, and the newest, the newest, the newest installment of this is the secretly messaging mom with an with a contraband electronic device. We say none, but we, you know, we don't have wands that we don't run people through metal detectors. So inevitably, there's some kid that finds the the Wi-Fi, and uh, uh, so you get tantrums. Right? I don't, I, I don't know how to deal with things, I throw a tantrum. Or you get acting out, trying to, trying to reestablish turf, right? Trying to get, you manipulate the adults, you try to get them in their place, you try to get the kids in their place. You know, you, 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 you got to bluster again to restore things to where they are. Or you could just chill out and have fun. And most of them do, eventually. Sometimes it takes them most of the week to do it. But to just chill out and relax and enjoy being a kid. And in the wilderness, you can do that. You can let go of your old self and at least for a, a period of time become somebody new. Let go of the shell. Let go of that need to always be blustering and proving yourself. But when, you get, when you're reborn and you let go of that shell, 
then you realize that underneath it all, you could be kind of vulnerable. And you have to feel emotions and trust people. So you get reborn when you go into the wilderness, but sometimes that rebirth is kind of kicking and screaming. When you think about being reborn, that phrase we use all the time in the church, all the time, we're going to be reborn. I've, I've been reborn in the spirit, I've, and, and that's a great phrase. Uh, you usually think about the image. I think it's a good exercise sometimes to look at, that, at an image that Jesus uses. Because he's clearly not being literal. But he talks about being reborn. What, what does it mean? What happens when you're reborn? Well, you think, what do you associate with that? Well, there's a, maybe a clean start, maybe a, a clean slate, fresh start. And all that's part of it. But if you dig deeper into being reborn, think about being reborn. What does that mean? It means you're starting over. A spiritual rebirth means spiritually you're starting completely over. And when you're born, you don't come out as a full-formed adult. You start out weak and small and vulnerable and having to rely on the goodwill of others. And you need to trust people. Let me use another analogy. What is it like to be reborn? Say you switch careers. In your first career, you've worked hard. You've been in many years, you've built up seniority, uh, you got a certain credibility, and then you decide, I'm going to switch careers. Well, sometimes you can get lucky and make that kind of a lateral move, right? I move from one industry to another, okay. But sometimes you switch careers, you're starting back at the bottom. And your checkbook sees it too, right? You work your way up the compensation, now I got a drop. And and so if you can't get one of those nice lateral moves, you're starting over, right? And now suddenly you went from being in charge to having people listening to you to now suddenly you don't even know how to operate the copier and you forwarded the emails wrong and you're apologizing all the time for dumb screw-ups that you made that, that, that you know, again, that 22-year-old who just came out of college is sitting there going, like, you can't use the email, ha-ha. You were like, at my old job, I would have I fired your little... I'm thank you for your advice. You don't get reborn as a senior VP most of the time. That's a job switch, not a career switch. In a career switch, you're reborn as a newbie, and it's humbling. And that can be one of the biggest reasons why sometimes I think we don't make big switches. Because there's a restart time. There's an investment there. And it doesn't always feel like a lot of fun to suddenly have to be trusting people and listening again. When Jesus talks in this kind of language about being reborn, of being born from above, he doesn't get a lot of takers. When he gets out, he talks to crowds about being reborn. There aren't a whole bunch of crowds that go, please, Jesus, you know, rebirth me or whatever he'd say. Jesus, I want in on this. Most just ignored him. Apparently, he must have preached it in such a way that it got, in Jerusalem, it got all the way up into the, into the higher levels of uh, the educated priests and the Pharisees, and one of them shows up to find out what in the world he's talking about. One of them. And that's Nicodemus. Right? That's the story we get today, that story of Nicodemus, the Pharisee who goes to meet Jesus at night. And Nicodemus... Uh, he he, he does, says he's not just a Pharisee, he's on the high council. So he's kind of hit the top of his, the career ladder. 
He is, he's not just educated, he's among the most educated. He, he's a, in a position of authority. And normally, people on the high council did not spend their time going around and listening to street preachers and self-declared messiahs from the countryside. They wrote those people off as uneducated kooks. But there's something about Jesus that's got, that Nicodemus has got thinking. And, and he actually acknowledges that there's something going on. So what does he do? He goes out at night to see him. And you go, why did he go out at night to see him? Because he didn't want everyone else knowing that a member of the high council was getting advice from a country hick. He had to keep his appearances up, right? But he still wants to know. He's still intrigued. And he starts out by acknowledging Jesus. When you follow their conversation, he starts out, he goes, look, I know you must be from God because you couldn't have done the things you did otherwise, which means he's paying attention. So he knows that God's with him, but he's trying to figure out how this all is working. And Jesus, rather than try to give Nicodemus an explanation of it, tells, Jesus, tells Nicodemus he needs to do, rethink all his thinking. That he's not going to figure it. I can't give you an explanation until you've changed the way you're thinking. Otherwise, it's just more mumbo-jumbo. And he says, so then he says to Nicodemus, to really understand, you need to be reborn. You need to be reborn. And Nicodemus gets caught up in the literalism of it. Wait, you can't actually like shrink down and become a baby again. No, for those of you who remember the 80s, we are not Mork for Mork. Remember that, Mark and Mindy? You would start old. That was an old reference, but it was the only one I could find that worked for this. You'd start old, and then you'd drill, and, and, and then, and then you, as you age, you'd end up like in an egg, and then you'd launch into space or something. I don't remember. Um, but uh, that's not how it works. Nicodemus is caught up in the literalness, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You know, you're, 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 you're thinking about it wrong. And then he restates it, right? Instead of saying, just be reborn, you got to be reborn with water and the Spirit. Okay, he rephrases it, puts it in a different way. But Nicodemus is still missing the point. Jesus is saying, look, if you really want to understand this, you kind of have to give up being the expert for a while. And you need to, to, to sit back and allow the Spirit again to teach you. You're so far ahead, you're so advanced, you're so knowledgeable, you're so much of an expert, you've kind of stopped listening to God. You need to do a little bit, you, you had, you're, you're talking so much, even God can't get a word in edgewise in your life. So you need to do some more listening. You're going to have to be like a novice again and sit back and let the Spirit blow. Are you able, Nicodemus, to let yourself be taught? even by God. And it's almost like I can see Jesus saying, you can learn it all if you give up having answers. Um. <laughs> Jesus is full of these things. If you reword what Jesus says, he's like the wisest guru that's ever been. And it sounds contradictory, but it makes sense in a way, doesn't it? How can you learn if you already have all the answers? The wilderness is a place of rebirth. It's a place of re-encountering, of re-listening, of being aware of where the wind blows, of where the spirit blows. I, I, I think some more about that. 
that now Jesus talks about listening to the wind, and one of the things I'm always reminded of when I do go camping or spend time outside, like a long period outside, is that you really have to start to get in tune with the weather. When you just go from your climate-controlled house to your climate-controlled car to your climate-controlled work, you know, you encounter the weather, you know, in, in minutes. Now, granted, in Arizona in the summer, I don't blame anyone for doing that, but you st you, when you get out, you can start to feel the wind blow. You're aware of it. You feel it. You become in touch with it. I think that's part of what he's saying. The wilderness is a place of rebirth, of re-encountering, of opening ourselves up, of putting ourselves at the mercy of God and God's spirit, of humbling ourselves instead of bragging. The wilderness experience is one where you start over, where you enter a place where you're no longer an expert and you're not calling the shots and you're not on your own turf. That's what being reborn is. Going into the wilderness to listen to the voice of God is an experience of letting go of all the things you've built up that you think you have to have and unlearning them and letting God replace them. To be reborn. Amen.